There we go. Hey, friends, I was up in junior high tonight, um, and Danny kind of just took a moment to talk about something that I want to talk about, just to, like, honestly just honor you guys and, and care for you guys and just the world that we live in and our team and, and what we're doing here. And uh, what that is is that uh, this week there was a shooting in Nashville. I'm sure all of you heard about it. Uh, three kids and three teachers were killed. And I just want to start off tonight by saying, friends, like, I'm sorry that this is the world that we live in. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that some of us are numb to these things. Um, that's heartbreaking. And I'm sorry that there are some of you who are really struggling with some of these realities in your schools or um, just in your day-to-day. Like, this is the world that we live in. This world is evil. And there is an enemy who hates us, uh, who hates anyone created in the image of God. And so he'll do anything to steal, kill, destroy. And he did that um, on Monday. But friends, I just want to say, like, we have hope in Christ that that will be defeated, that there will be justice. Um, and I was just reminded this week of, like, what I'm here for and why why our team is here and why we do what we do here at Next, because, like, friends, all we want for you is to believe that there is hope in Jesus and that there's victory over all this stuff. And so that's my plea for you tonight. Lean into Jesus. And, friends, like, find that hope in him, and let's keep walking through this life, um, walking through these things, and shining the light of Christ everywhere we go. Um, yeah, let's just pray before we get in tonight. God, thank you for each one of these students. God, I see uh, just familiar faces, new faces, faces from other churches, so many cool friends here tonight. Um, God, just I pray that you would protect these students from evil. I pray that you would guard them, that you would be the defender, not only of their hearts, but of their bodies and their lives, their well-being. Um, and God, would you come quickly? God, I pray that you would come, that we would bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, and because of that, you would come and be with us again. And, and, and before you do that, God, would you save many in this room and, and all over the world? God, we love you. We pray that we would receive from your word tonight, that you would convict us, and that we would just love you more because of it. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So that's a little bit of a heavy note. What I wanted to talk about tonight was actually uh, sailing. So I think I got a picture of a sailboat up here. Um, Friends, growing up, I actually went to this summer camp. It was up north on a beautiful lake called Lake Hubert, and this was like one of my favorite places to be. And going to this camp, I was about 12 years old. I knew that one activity I really wanted to try was sailing. But something about sailing really freaked me out. But luckily for me, the first time I ever tried sailing was with, was with this guy named Tom Solano. Now, I don't know about you, but the name Tom Solano sounds like a guy who's, like, really good at everything he does. and just, like, stands out above the rest, and I was not wrong. This guy was a legend at this camp. He had accomplished like every possible award that you could get in any of the sports or the activities, including sailing, and that, that's not, not an easy task. This guy went to camp for summer after summer. He went for like eight weeks at a time just to like stand above the rest. This guy, man, if I want to go sailing with someone for the first time, it's Tom Solano. Like you can't get much better than that. So I'm like, great, I feel good. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy this ride. And I remember like getting in the boat, and, and he gets 
towards the back, and he's pulling the main sheet, and he's grabbing the rudder, which are just like words for sailing things. And I'm like looking at him like, man, that guy's so cool. I want to be like that guy someday. But like, we're good. We'll be fine. And so we set out. He's the skipper of the boat. And it was a good day. We had fun. Uh, we actually played a game called Sailboat Dodgeball, which is essentially you're sailing around, and when you pass other boats, you can chuck a dodgeball at their sails, and whichever one you hit, they have to release it for a minute. And normally that's not a big deal, but on this day, the wind really started to pick up. And so I'm sitting on the side of the boat, and I start looking out at the waves, and I can see like the white caps starting to form, and like the waves starting to crash, and I'm like, that's interesting. And then I feel the boats kind of do what it was doing in that picture where it like starts, it's, I don't know if it's called healing or high siding, but it like starts leaning over. And it was actually even more than that. We were like staring de- straight down at the water and I'm like, all right, well, Tom's got this, right? Like this guy is a legend. I can trust that this guy knows what he's doing. And then a boat comes by and they throw a ball at our mainsail. And that mainsail is like really important for sailing, especially in the wind. And so, okay, we have to let it go for a minute. And what happens when you let go of a sail in the really windy day, is it starts flapping everywhere. And if a gust comes by, you're at risk of it swinging across the boat and knocking you in the water or knocking you out if you're not careful. And so this happens, and after about a minute of this chaos, Tom finally you know, takes the main sheet, pulls the sail in tight, and we immediately just take off. We're flying across the waves. I can tell like the sail is like skimming the water. I'm basically sitting on the outside of the boat at this point, and I'm like, okay. Surely we're not about to tip this boat over. Like, Tom knows what he's doing. I can trust Tom Solano, right? And I'm getting nervous, and the wind came, and the waves blew. Whoa. Wind came and waves blew. Wind came and waves grew. And before I know it, we had capsized. Now, I'm going to come back to that story, but I am starting there tonight because that story of my first time going sailing reminds me of a lot, uh, it reminds me a lot about one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible, and that story is what we're talking about tonight. It's a beautiful and true story from 2,000 years ago, and it's still true and beautiful for us tonight, and I actually think that this story holds one of the most prevalent messages for our generation as the next generation of the church, and this story is about a man named Peter walking on water. Now, here's why I think this is so important for a room like this. The greatest issue I see of faith, like the greatest faith crisis of this generation is not like all these hot-button theological church discussions that we like to debate about, though those are very important. Man, I see consistently that the, the, the biggest crisis of faith in our generation is, is God good and does he love me? And if those things are true, can I, can I really trust him in the face of all these other things that are leading me to doubt? And so, you know, I've had countless conversations with students in this room about doubting God, about lacking faith. There are people in this room who are like, man, I want to have that faith, but I'm really struggling to believe because I haven't seen transformation. I haven't seen these things that you say are going to happen if I follow Jesus. We got other people talking about things like, man, I'm just not really feeling God lately, as if our feelings determine what's true. We got other people in this room who, you know, we see all the other things that the world proposes, all these other ideas surrounding us, and we're like, that doesn't seem really consistent with what I say I believe, so I don't even 
know where to stand. And friends, I want those of you who are wrestling in the room tonight to know you're not alone. Uh, I've gone some gone through some really incredibly dark seasons of doubt. Um, I've come out the other side, if that says anything. But like friends, I just want to encourage you. Uh, Lean in, and if uh, to make sure I'm speaking to everyone, I also recognize that there are people in this room who are here because their friends are here or because there's free food or whatever the reason is that you're here and you're like, well, I don't really care about this whole Jesus thing. I don't really care if this God is real and he loves me. I don't really need to worry about this until I'm 70 or whatever. And, and if that's you, my encouragement is the same. Like, we're talking about a guy who's walking on water. So lean in. Um, let's look at this story, and, and here's why I think this, is, this story is crucial. Because faith can only grow when you step into places where it's possible for faith to exist. What I mean is that it's hard to have faith in Jesus and see transformation in your life without being obedient to what he says or what he's called you to do. Because when we are obedient to what he says, faith now becomes possible. Let's check out what that looks like in this story. Go ahead and open up to Matthew 14, towards the back of your Bible, the first book in the New Testament. Matthew 14, we're going to hang out in chapter, sorry, verse 22, a little bit towards the end of uh, that chapter, and just a little bit of a context here. Uh, Jesus had just miraculously fed thousands of people with a couple of pieces of bread and fish. So ridiculous stuff, um, and he actually sends these people off, and he actually tells his disciples to go ahead and make your way on over to the other side of the sea. I'm going to go up and pray. And so we're going to pick up right there uh, while his disciples are making their way halfway across the Sea of Galilee. Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from the land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Verse 32, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. Friends, I got three points tonight. Number one, obedience leads to faith. Number two, distraction leads to doubt. And number three, steps lead to grace. All right, so as our sailboat capsized, I remember like falling down into the water. I was wrapped up in all the ropes under the sail and 
Immediately, this like feeling of panic came over me. I'm a 12-year-old. I've never been on a sailboat. All I know about sailing at this point is like some vocabulary terms and a couple knots. And I'm like, that's not going to help me here. And, and, and so I realized quickly that, that there was another person out there with me, that there was another voice, that there was someone out there who actually knew the ins and outs of the boat, and that guy was Tom Solano. And I knew that Tom Solano would be the one who could get our boat back upright. And, you know, if I tried to get this boat back up by my own strength, by my own understanding, by my own terms, like that boat is going to sink. And so in the midst of my fear, in the midst of my panic, like Tom speaks up and he immediately just like gives me this clear direction for how to move forward in this situation. In our passage tonight, the disciples are in a much more dramatic sense of panic than I was. They've been fighting the wind and the waves for hours on end in the dark, and all of a sudden they see this thing that they've never thought they would see in their whole life. A man walking on water. And their immediate response was fear, rightfully so. But Jesus spoke up. He says, it is I. And so in just these three words, Jesus brings his disciples back down to reality. He brings assurance to who it is that is standing in the midst of the storm with them. And I can just imagine that look on Peter's face when he realizes it's Jesus. Realizes it's Jesus. I mean, a couple hours before, he just watched his rabbi like feed 5,000 plus people with a couple pieces of bread. So he's like, oh yeah, who else would do that? Who else would be walking towards me on water? And you see, in the same way that, that I knew no effort of mine, apart from Tom's direction or Tom's call would help me get that boat back up, man. I see in a moment, Peter realizes that there's no way out of these waves apart from the call of the one who's miraculously standing on them. Imagine being in a storm and you see a man standing on the waves and you're thinking, how can I do that? I need to get out of here. But he realizes, man, I am, I am stuck here unless he calls me. And so Peter seems right to assume that if he steps out into the darkness of the sea on his own strength, that he's going to drown. That if, even if he takes this like courageous step out, would re, that it would result in a greater struggle. That, and we see something important in how he responds to Jesus then. It seems as if he's wondering in his response, what if, what if Jesus makes it possible? Like, what if Jesus could grant me the ability to walk on the water? Like, I know I, know I can't do it, but what if, what if he can? I know I can't get this boat back up, but what if Tom can? I know I can't walk on water, but what if Jesus can grant me that? Look at this, verse 28 and 29. I love this. It says, Lord, if, it is, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus says, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. Friends, point number one is obedience leads to faith. You see, rather than stepping out in his own strength, Peter cries out to Jesus, begging him to give him the direction to move forward. Begging him to call him out into a place where he isn't convinced he can stand. And see, in this room tonight, we have something that Peter didn't have. We have the ability to look back in time 
and see all the countless ways in which Jesus showed up and did miracles time and time again. But Peter's not seen all of that yet. He's not yet believed all of that yet. You see, his faith is in process, and so Jesus has much yet to show him. But even still, I think what we can see from Peter here is that Jesus is at least worth listening to. The man walking on water in the storm is at least worth listening to. He's worth obedience. You see, uh, a brilliant theologian and Christian martyr named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, he wrote this in a book called Cost of Discipleship. He wrote, Peter knows he dare not climb out of the ship in his own strength. His very step, or his very first step, would be his undoing. And so he cries, Lord, bid me to come to thee upon the waters. And Jesus answers, come. Christ must first call him, for the step can only be taken at his word. In other words, the road to faith starts with obedience to Jesus' call. Now, friends, maybe there's a place in your life that feels like this boat that Peter's in. Maybe it's a place in your life that's being battered by the wind and the waves with no way out. And maybe as much as you might know about Jesus, as much as you may have heard about Jesus from church or parents or people, as much as you have maybe even seen Jesus show up in your life, something in you does not have faith that he will show up and meet you there and get you out of the storm. You see, you put it on you. You say, man, I, I just don't have enough faith right now to step out towards Jesus. And my encouragement to you would be to ask Jesus to beckon you out onto the waves. To command you to come to him. To ask him to make the call because only at his word can that step be taken. And that's exactly what Jesus does with Peter. He simply says, come. A clear call. A clear command for Peter. And here's where the story gets crazy. It says that Peter walked on the water towards Jesus. Like a fearful, imperfect man is walking on water as if it's concrete. And, and he, didn't, he didn't have to believe that it was possible in order to stand. He simply just had to obey the call of Jesus. Like he could, have, he could have heard Jesus call out to him, hey, come. And been like, oh, wait, hold on, let me think about this for a second. Uh, mm, I don't know if I want to do that. And then he could have like hesitated and then decided, I'm actually going to stay put right here. But because he actually stepped out into the water, faith now becomes possible. Faith becomes possible because he obeyed and not the other way around. You see, I think a lot of us in the Christian faith and the church Christian life, we, we think it's the other way. We think, hey, faith and, and belief in Christ is the prerequisite to obeying Christ. It's just a fancy word for like, hey, I need to like believe in Jesus enough first before I can justify doing what he says. But friends, like, if that's how we think, like, when will faith ever become tangible for us? Like, when will we actually see any difference. One day I want to do a, maybe next year, I want to do like a full sermon series on the life of Peter. I love the life of Peter. It's like my favorite storyline um, in the Gospels. And the reason being is because I, I love how this story of him walking on water is like perfectly down the middle between like his call to follow 
Jesus and like Jesus' call for him to die the death that he's going to die before Jesus ascends into heaven. Crazy stuff. We'll, maybe next year we'll get into it. But the two things that, that border this middle story of walking on water is, is two times where Jesus simply said, follow me. And so the first follow me for Peter happens in Matthew 4. It goes like this. Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, it does not say, Jesus said, follow me, and Peter said, yes, I will follow you because I know that you are the Messiah, and I know that you are the Son of God, and I know that you will save me, and I know that all these things about you. No, it says he left his nets. In Matthew 4, Peter had to leave his nets before he found new life with Christ and believe. In Matthew 14, he had to step out of the boat before he would surrender his fears and believe Jesus could do the impossible in his life. Both of those calls and both of those steps are gifts of grace from God. Like, don't get me wrong, but he still had to step. He still had to leave his nets. Um, And it was obedience to the call that showed up in those moments. It was obedience that opened up the road to faith, and that's faith that Jesus would grant him as he continued to be obedient to his calling. And my second point, as much as you know, Peter was bold in taking these steps, my second point is that distraction leads to doubt. Now, there's a big reason why I love to bring this story up with, with students or friends who are struggling with doubt or myself. Uh, it's because, think about it, Peter has spent time with Jesus face to face. He has seen Jesus feed thousands with a few pieces of bread. He has seen him heal the sick cast out demons, preach with authority, turn water into wine. And now he's walking on water, Peter, because Jesus said so, and he still doubts. So if you're like struggling with doubt, doubt's normal. It happens. Like remember that one of Jesus' closest friends and disciples was walking on water and he doubted. So don't let doubt suffocate you. Check this out. It says, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus in verse 29. In verse 30, it says, but when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Distraction leads to doubt. See, I remember as as we got our boat back upright and we were sailing again, I couldn't keep myself from just like staring at the waves. And, and we, we kept sailing throughout the month, and every day I go out, I just kept this, like, anxious eye on how the wind was looking, and I love sailing, but I started to really lose my confidence in my willingness to sail. And here's what I learned, is that it's really hard to sail a boat when all you're thinking about is capsizing. See, I was afraid of the possibility that I might once again fall victim to the wind and the waves, and I was distracted by fear, 
by uncertainty, by things out of my control. So my gaze kept going back to the source of my worry. And the same thing happens here with Peter. In this passage, it's, it's, he talks about how he turns his eyes away from Jesus. He considers the, the wind and the waves rather than the one who's standing on top of them right in front of him. The one who's actually called him out onto them. And so he, he tries to take this situation into his own control. He tries to gain like his own comfort that like he won't sink. He tries to consider this under his own strength. He, he maybe even is thinking like, this is too good to be true. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, it's taking his eyes off Jesus. And, and when, what happens when we take our eyes off Jesus and we lose sight of Jesus is, is we lose sight of the one who's actually in control. We lose sight of the one who is actually our only assurance that we won't sink, and, and that leads to doubt. Friends, I want you to hear that it's really hard to follow Jesus when we get distracted with lesser things. It's really hard to follow Jesus when we get distracted by things that are out of our control. It's really hard to believe in Jesus when we are distracted by things that are uncertain. It's really hard to follow Jesus when we hesitate, like Peter, like dude's on his way to Jesus in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and he stops, and he considers what's going on around him, and he starts to sink. So it's really hard to follow Jesus when we don't obey what he said to do. Distraction will lead you to doubt, and doubt can very easily start to drown you. And I just want you to ask yourself, can you identify the distractions in your life that are drowning you in doubt? Just consider that tonight. Thankfully, even our own lack of faith cannot stop Jesus from giving us grace. Grace is the very thing that we see in this next portion of the story. The next verse says, Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? And at this moment, Jesus is like reaching down into the waves and pulling Peter back up to himself. And he says, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Like, bro, I just made you walk on water. What are you doing doubting that? And friends, I hear Jesus ask me this question all the time. And the, the answer is always simple. Why did I doubt? Distraction, fear, disobedience. But even still, there's grace. There's grace because Jesus pulls us out. We can't get out on our own. No matter how much strength we have, no matter how good we can swim, we can't stop drowning and it's only the grace of God that shows us the way out. And it shows up as an outstretched hand from Jesus to a drowning sinner. So my last point is that steps lead to grace. Steps lead to more grace. Steps lead to true grace. You see, there's grace. There's grace when we step out and then we doubt and then Jesus has to pull us back out. But it's really cheap grace if we just keep living life from one rescue to the next. I believe that because Jesus died for us, that he gave up his life for us, and because it cost him that much, 
that what he desires for us is not to live a life of cheap grace, but of costly grace. You see, living a life of costly grace means living a life that seeks to take steps of obedience, even when it requires much of us. When it's scary, when it might not like feel right or feel the best, uh, when it actually costs us something. Because the result of an obedient life is a life of walking on the waves in increasing confidence and faith that no matter how strong the wind blows and how high the waves get, that we can stand because he said we could. And that life becomes reality when we start to consistently step into the places where faith is possible. When our instinct becomes obedience rather than fear, see, that's a life that's marked by real costly grace. And if you hear this message and you're like, Jacob, like, I want to have that faith. Like, I want to follow Jesus like that, but it's not clicking. I'm not seeing transformation. It's not working. You might not like me after I say this, but, like, check your obedience. Look for the ways in your life that you might not be obeying Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, again, brilliant. He writes this about the grace we've been given about costly grace. It says, only those who obey believe. You are disobedient. You are trying to keep some part of your life under your own control. That is what is preventing you from listening to Christ and believing in his grace. You cannot hear Christ because you are willfully disobedient. Somewhere in your heart, you are refusing to listen to his call and your difficulty is your sins. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Casa Discipleship. And so we must step into the place where faith is possible if we want to have faith at all. Like when we find it hard to pray, when we find it hard to trust, when we find it hard to listen or, or seek God with our whole heart, when we find it hard to follow Jesus, it's because we're not stepping out, but we're staying put. When it's hard to follow Jesus and it's hard to believe that Jesus is actually worth following, it's because we're not stepping out. It's because we're staying put. We must listen to him. We must seek to understand his word and his call. We must leave our old way of life behind and follow him, even when we don't know exactly where that's going. And if we do that, we will see the walk-on-water type of life and the walk-on-water type of faith grow in our life because he is willing to give that to those who are obedient. Obedience doesn't always make sense. It doesn't make sense for Peter in Matthew 4 to leave his nets and follow Jesus because his nets are his source of income. And so obedience didn't make sense, but he was obedient. And now faith is possible. In Matthew 14, it doesn't make sense for Peter to step out of a boat into a storm. But because Peter stepped out of the boat, faith became possible and he walked on the waves. Obedience doesn't have to make sense when it's Jesus who's calling us. And I'll just pause and ask you guys, what are the nets that you need to leave in order to obey Christ? Have you left them? 
where might he be asking you to step out, even if it doesn't make a ton of sense? Consider those tonight. Two summers after I had that first experience with sailing, I finally found the confidence to like actually try to learn how to skipper a boat by myself. Uh, eventually, I got to a place where I actually saw the white caps on the waves and the strong winds as an opportunity rather than a hindrance. The wind and the waves became fun for me. I wanted them to be there. They became an opportunity to grow as a sailor and to have a heck of a lot of fun in the thrill of it. And I remember the, the first time I ever skippered a boat on my own. It was just me and this little kid who was like a new young camper. And it felt exactly like Tom and I, but like rolls are flipped. And so we're soaring out there. We're going crazy fast. I actually remember one of my friends was sailing right behind us. And he's like, dude, you're not even touching the water. You're flying. Like, it felt like we were hovering above the water, and all of that is great. But there was still one thing that I couldn't do on my own. You know, as much as I got to navigate the wind and the waves and and had confidence in it, the one thing I couldn't do on my own was get back to shore. So what we had to do to bring our boat back was, like, clip it on a buoy that was surrounded by a bunch of other boats and buoys, and so I'm back here at the back of the boat, skippering, and so I'm like, all right, I'm going to send this little dude up to the front of the, the boat to grab the line and, and get ready to, like, hook it, and I'm having a blast, so I'm hauling it to this buoy, and I see this little dude, like, reach out as we're passing it and just hook it right in, and I'm like, that's impressive, but what happens next? The boat has, like, an abrupt stop, and I'm shocked that this little guy did not fly into the lake um, so it was messy. Like, we did it, like, we hooked it in, but, um, you know, I'm surprised we didn't crash into anything, and, and it was messy. It's a dumb story, but I share it because my hope is that it would be, like, some form of an imperfect picture of the gospel for us tonight. You see, as we live out the Christian life, and as you mature in your faith, you might finally reach a season where the wind and the waves become, become something that you can confidently stand on. Where you're not looking around at the, the waves, you're looking at Jesus, you're like, this is great, this is fun, I love following Jesus. Like, that's, that's fun. Following Jesus is fun. Walking on water is fun. But, like, no matter how hard we try, we must realize that we can never get safely back to shore on our own. When we try, it's messy, it's abrupt, and we fall short. What I mean is we will never be able to ride our great acts of faith and our obedience into the safe harbors of eternity with Jesus. No matter how good we get at navigating the ways, he's the only one who can get us home. He's the only one that can get us to shore. I love how the story ends, verse 32. It says, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, truly, you are the son of God. Is that not a picture of the promise that we have for those of us who have been called to Jesus? The wind and the waves of life will one day cease to exist 
And those with Christ will worship him in full assurance that he is exactly who he says he is. If you want to receive that promise, stop trying to tune out Jesus and resist what he says. Repent. Leave your nets. Step out of the boat. And you will find that faith in the gospel will result. Because you realize you can't do it on your own. You're stuck. And then Jesus will lead you back to shore. Three questions to end with. Where might you need to step out and obey Jesus, even if it doesn't make all that much sense? What are the nets in your life that Jesus is asking you to leave? Have you left them? And can you identify the distractions that are drowning you in doubt? Talk about those tonight. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Loving us enough to call us into things that are sometimes scary. But thank you that those places give us the opportunity to believe in you and have faith in you and grow in our faith. Um, God, I pray that these students would believe that what you say is worth listening to and that as they listen, they would find that what you say is not only true, but it is life. And it is life to the full. God, so excited to see our seniors this next month take over. Pray for them. Humble them. And move in them as they lead this ministry. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.